Hi, hello, and welcome. Episode number 97 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Adi Elmore. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. There was uh, a lot to talk about going into the All-Star break. Quite frankly, there was a lot to be excited about going into the All-Star break. And I think maybe if you listened to last week's episode with myself and Lance McAllister from 700 WLW, perhaps you got the impression that maybe things were going to be okay with the Cincinnati Reds. Maybe there would be optimism. Maybe they would make a move like Lance predicted, and maybe, just maybe, the Cincinnati Reds would go for it at the start of the 2021 second half. Well, unfortunately, the Reds could not have gotten off to a worse start. They've lost four in a row, including a sweep at the hands of the Milwaukee Brewers, who now lead the National League Central at seven and a half games. I'm recording this at 2.30 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon. Just completed a show on ESPN 1530 with Tony Pike, where we basically came to the conclusion that the season is dead. You look at the first game of the weekend against the Milwaukee Brewers, Nick Castellanos, the Reds' all-star right fielder, heart and soul of this team, and quite frankly, the heart and soul of this team that's not named Joe Burrow, the heart and soul of this city, I should say, that's not named Joe Burrow, is Nick Castellanos. He has put the Reds and the city of Cincinnati on his back and said, I will carry us to where we want to go, but I need help. Well, he was hit in the arm, in the wrist, I should say, by a pitch, and he has played but one at-bat since then. The Reds continue to insist and pretend like it's no big deal, but here we are on Tuesday, and he's not in the lineup again. He was only he only played yesterday on Monday because he was forced to in a, a crazy situation, a 15-11 to an 11 emergency game uh, for Castellanos against the New York Mets in which the Reds fell in extra innings. But they did the one thing they couldn't do. They came out, and they fell flat on their face. They lost four consecutive games. I don't understand this team. I don't understand this organization. The thing that has bitten them in the butt over the course of the last four games has been what has bitten them in the butt over the course of the entire season. Their bullpen cannot stop anyone. They cannot consistently get outs. The Reds have gone on various different streaks this season. They start really well, and then they'll suck for two weeks. And they'll play great for a week and a half, and then they'll suck for a week. And then they'll play wonderful for two weeks and suck for two weeks. That's kind of been this entire season. And Looking back on it, we probably should have known because of the way that the Reds handled the offseason, both spending money and cutting money, that there would be these ebbs and flows of a season. And, and more importantly, and more literally, this team is a 500 ball club. That's basically what we all went into this season expecting. But here's the problem 
with that. You float around 500, you're giving yourself a chance to be competitive. And if I have said this once, I've said this 1,000 times. The quote from Paul Brown that says, winning makes believers of us all. Because when you do start to win and you do start to put yourself in a position where, oh my gosh, we might actually be able to complete compete for a playoff spot and we might actually be able to compete for a World Series championship, that becomes a powerful, powerful force. You become to you come to have belief. You come to have hope and optimism. You become a believer in the team that you root for. This happens for players, this happens for coaches, this happens for fans. But there's still work to be done if you know your team isn't good enough, and that's the problem with the Reds. They're still not good enough. They're not healthy enough. They're not consistent enough. They keep putting a Eugenio Suarez out there for a reason that I still don't understand. Joey Votto has been solid. Tyler Naquin has been solid. Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, spectacular. They've gotten enough, more than expected, out of Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson. Tucker Barnhart is having a good year. They started awful in the bullpen. They got hot for two weeks. They're back to being awful. They're starting pitching. Started awful with Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray being hurt, Tyler Malley here and there. They're back to just being okay. Wade Miley is the best pitcher. Luis Castillo has gotten better. Malley and Gray are frustrating, and Jeff Hoffman's making a start the day that many of you are listening to this. So is it true that as I sit here, July 20th, happy birthday, Mom, by the way, happy birthday to my mom, that the red season is over, 48 and 46, two games over 500, seven and a half games back of the National League Central division lead in the Milwaukee Brewers, six and a half games back, excuse me, six games back of the National League wildcard. The question that we have talked about all season long is Nick Castellanos and will he return? Because everyone seems to think that without Nick Castellanos, this team doesn't do anything next year. And so this is really going to determine the future years of the ball club. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if this injury is worse than the Reds are letting on and it's going to cause him to miss a month and maybe to the point where he's going to say, you know what, I'll come back another year and play with the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know. All I know is that right now, this team is dead. They're dying. The fight that we love so much about them and and that we've seen from them over and over and over again seems to be leaving them. And it's never more prevalent than it was from rookie second baseman Jonathan India after the 15-11 loss to the New York Mets. Um. Doesn't feel great. Uh, you know, it was tough. It's another tough loss. You know, but we hit. You know, it's a positive. We, you know, the offense did really well. But other than that, man, I got nothing. You know, it's just a tough loss. It comes in a loss, but reaching base six times uh, has to be personally satisfying for you. Yeah, but, we, you know, we still lost. It's... Yeah, that's it's very cool. You know, it's awesome. You know, I got on base six times, but at the end of the day, you know, I want to win. I don't really care about you know personal goals and that stuff doesn't matter to me. Um, 
you know, I compete. I want to win. You know, I do that for the team. I don't do it for myself. You know, I just want to win at the end of the day. Jonathan, how hard have these last four days just been in general? Just, you've had three very close games kind of slip away. Um, but, and just kind of what's what's it been like right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it sucks. But I've said it before, it's baseball. You know, baseball can love you some days and some days, you know, it'll hate you. But, uh, you know, things are just aren't, aren't going our way right now. You know, it, and it sucks. But we just got to keep fighting. You know, it's the only way we'll get through this. You know, we can't quit. We can't, you know, get down. We still have a lot more of the season. Um, and we just got to keep battling as a team, come together more, and we'll be fine. You know, the clubhouse is, you know, still positive. That's a good thing. You know, we all we all get along in this team. That's why, you know, we're such a good team. But, you know, we, we were we were doing so well for a while. You know, stuff like this has to, you know, come back at some point. You know, it's probably better now than, you know, later on in the season when it really, really matters. So uh, hopefully we get it out of the way now and start winning some games. Jonathan India continues to be a very, very impressive young man. You know, he tried to, to maybe cheer himself up or cheer the fans up or somebody or somebody something up a little bit towards the end of that with some hope that they can turn it around. And they probably do feel in the clubhouse to an extent that they can, but that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about how these players actually feel because in this offseason, and I've said this before, and I understand some of you think that I'm repeating myself, and I am to an extent, but it's all prevalent in how we are where we are right now. This offseason, the front office, the ownership group, purposely made this team worse. They got rid of guys like Rossell Iglesias and Archie Bradley. They cut payroll. They did not pursue a shortstop. They did all these different things to make themselves worse, and they did so purposefully with the idea being saving money. Every single team lost money in COVID. We've talked about that at length. The Reds have made plenty of money in the past. It's not like they were hurting. By the way, they're back to full capacity, and they're doing a fine job selling tickets and concessions at Great American Ballpark. But they purposefully made this team worse. And now they're having to deal with the backlash from the fans. Backlash and and, and attacking on a Reds team and, and an organization that I can't ever remember seeing In my 25 years of life, I'm 26, by the way, in my 26 years of life, I can't ever remember the frustration and the anger that this fan base currently has at ownership. And you wonder if it's falling on deaf ears or not. Here's the thing about Cincinnati and specifically about Cincinnati baseball. This was, is the first professional baseball team. This is the birthplace of professional baseball. It started here. And that is woven into the fabric of this city and this area and will be for the rest of time. Think about the great teams, the history of this team, uh, of this city, of this club. 
1919, sure that World Series was had some issues with the Black Sox, but 1940, nineteen seventy five nineteen seventy six the big red machine many to this day still call it the single greatest baseball team to ever walk the face of the earth Pete Rose owns the all-time hit record it is the franchise of first first team to do this first team to do that first team to do all these different things over and over and over and over and over again you get a rich baseball culture. Oh, by the way, you had a fantastic 1990 team with a Hall of Famer and Barry Larkin on it. You've got these incredible teams and these moments and these history in this city with this ball club. And you know it exists because it's all the club has to hang its hat on for the last 20 years. The last 25, 26 years since they last won a playoff series. You're constantly reminded, you drive down by the ballpark and there's statues of Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and Tony Perez and Johnny Bench, Ted Klazuski, all these great players. You're reminded of what this team was in the past and can be and the importance of it to the city and to the people. And Cincinnati baseball fans are not stupid. They know what it's supposed to look like. They know when they're being taken advantage of. They know when you're not trying. Pete Rose set the tone. Pete was one of our own, a Cincinnati guy, and he was nicknamed Charlie Hustle because he gave it everything he had every second of every game. That's what Cincinnati fans love. They want you to be aggressive. They want you to give everything you've got. And when ownership and the front office don't do that, you immediately lose the respect of your fan base. It's been 16 years now Bob Castellini has owned this team. He promised to return championship baseball to Cincinnati. Since that time, there have been three winning records. My buddy Lance McAllister, who joined us on the program last week, Made a tweet after the Reds' loss early this morning. And he said, This Reds team fights and claws. This fan base has embraced, rooted, and supported it. This team has needed help in the fight from day one. Help didn't come. This team was abandoned. This fan base will not forgive ownership and the front office for that. And I think Lance summed it up perfectly. So I'm going to do what I didn't do last year. Last year I held out on the Reds. I said I think there's a run left in them. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the Reds are dead, and I think the hope is right around the corner. I believe there's a Bible verse out there. It says something like, joy comes in the morning. That will be a morning one week from now when the Cincinnati Bengals report for training camp. You're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. 
Welcome back to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I'm your host, Adi Elmore, but you probably already knew that since you're 15, 16, 17 minutes into listening to this already. I ended the first segment with a piece of optimism. Hope is right around the corner. We're 54 days away from uh, week one in the NFL, the Sunday slate of games, a few more or less than that. Uh, few more or less that doesn't make any sense a few less than that in terms of the actual start to week one in the NFL we're a month from preseason football beginning 48 days away from major college football getting underway and quite frankly the best time of the year I didn't want to have to bury the Reds but I did I love them may they rest in peace I will probably still watch them because I have to but I uh, will not be getting upset about them losing because there's really just no point. I'm putting a lot of eggs in the basket of the Cincinnati Bengals, and, you know, the Bengals are the exact opposite of the Cincinnati Reds. Ownership has decided to do something entirely different. They are giving their fan base everything they've wanted, and it starts with Elizabeth Blackburn, who the Bengals have pushed out in front as the new face of the franchise and director of marketing and engagement and strategy and whatever the hell, honestly, her title is. I don't even know, but she does all of it. And she's working on a plethora of projects for the Bengals, including the Ring of Honor, including the uniform situation, including all this other stuff. Um, that the Bengals are working on, and they unveiled earlier this week the Rule the Jungle campaign, which is going to be their uh, slogan for the 2021 season, and they're going to create a variety of different new game day traditions. There's going to be a ruler of the jungle. There's going to be a throne that uh, a Bengals fan or a personality is going to get up on each week. They're going to lead a stadium, and the stadium, and the Day chant. All these different things. They're, they're finally beginning to understand that Paul Brown Stadium needs to be not only a place to watch football games, it needs to be an experience and it needs to be a destination. And it cannot be a destination until it becomes an experience. And once that happens, then you have people really truly flocking down to Great American or excuse me, to Paul Brown Stadium to watch your team play. And so the Bengals deserve a lot of credit for continuing to do everything right off the field and Sure, there's a variety of question marks on the field as well. There's a lot of question marks on the sidelines. Is Zach Taylor going to be the guy? A recent study, a, a survey by the the Athletic, 52% of Bengals fans said they think Zach Taylor can get them to the playoffs. It's definitely not a resounding number, but I think all things considered over the past two years, that's a pretty impressive number for Zach Taylor. Joe Burrow seems to be doing just fine. There is nothing to suggest that he will not be ready for week one. Training camp begins a week from right now. Practices, rookies, and people reporting and checking in and weight and running tests and all these different things that they do with preseason games just right around the corner. I'm very excited about the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're a much better football team top to bottom in real life on paper in Madden, however you want to put it, than they were last year. I think they have a quarterback that has created a a vibe in the locker room and in the fan base that is not like anything I've ever seen before. And I think you match that vibe with what Elizabeth Blackburn and the rest of the team are doing 
uh, in terms of the off-the-field situation. They are completely changing the look of the Bengals, literally on the field with the uniforms and hopefully in the national perspective. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen over one season, but it starts with that, and then it follows up with action on the football field. And when the Bengals finally do win, we're going to look back at the offseason of 2019 heading into 2020 and the 2020 offseason heading into 2021 as the moments when this franchise finally seemed to wake up. And one of the other poll questions on that survey was, Will the Bengals win a Super Bowl in the 2020s? And there was actually some positive thoughts on that. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but I want to say the majority said yes. Probably wasn't a a huge majority. But think about that. Sometime in the next nine years, the Bengals win a Super Bowl. The wheels are in motion. And unlike the team down the street that wears red and swings wooden bats, the Bengals seem to have finally figured out that they can't just continue doing the same old thing forever and ever and ever because the city and the fans deserve a whole hell of a lot more than that. That pretty much sums it up for me. Remember that uh, ball don't lie. And as always, have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks.